Just remember, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. Welcome to A Special Place in Hell, the podcast where an aging Gen X author and a self-hating millennial activist come together to thoroughly and conclusively solve our culture war problems with our combined wit, wisdom, and most importantly, lived experiences. I am the aging Gen X author, Megan Daum, and with me is the self-hating millennial, Sarah Hader. Sarah, we are not yet on video. I'm not looking at you. We can't see each other, unfortunately. No. And it's sad because my skin is looking great these days. Oh. For a change. I mean, yeah. For a change? Your skin is always looks fabulous. Yeah. Uh, that's my I've fabulous makeup, actually. Okay. But, Aren't they uh, fabulous filters? Fabulous, fabulous filters. Filters on the interface. Yeah, I think people don't realize that when we record this, we don't look at each other. We, we just do strictly audio. No, yeah. Well, it's, it's so much better this way. It's going to be so odd having to uh, i'm 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 not looking forward to it i'm not either actually uh we were going to practice uh practice it by at least recording on video today but uh i my i just didn't i'm not up Uh, for it no no i'm so i'm so tired it's been such a long day yeah Uh, yeah such a long week it's it's monday i know it's been a long week already yeah exhausted Hashtag exhausted. Hashtag exhausted. Yeah. Um, Well, we're going to talk about uh, a number of things today. Many of them related to something that we don't actually ever touch on is, which is gender, gender ideology. Um, Speaking of that, I just have a really quick announcement about the unspeakeasy, my heterodox women's group, the retreats coming up uh, next month and in April are sold out the uh, the LA retreat in February sold out, as is the Seattle area retreat in April with special guest star Katie Herzog. That sold out like very quickly, and there's a waiting list. So, thank you everybody for your interest in that. If you want to get on the waiting list, uh, you can go to theunspeakeasy.com and email me. Otherwise, we're going to be announcing some more retreats very soon. So just uh, hang in there. Okay. Um, so there was a big story in the New York Times a couple days ago um, about uh, teachers withholding transgender identities from parents in public schools. Mm-hmm. And it was quite the talk of the uh, of people who follow this stuff. And uh, I wonder I wonder if you had any thoughts or if you want to just hear mine. Yeah, um, let's start with yours. So we should we should tell them. So this is a this was on the New York Times. It's called "When Students Change Gender Identity and Parents Don't Know." That's the name of the article. It's by Katie J M Baker, who interviewed more than fifty people, including parents and their children, and officials and medical professionals for um, for for this assignment. And it was a pretty pretty lengthy piece. So yeah, yeah. Tell us uh, what what did you think? I thought it was pretty good. It was very long. It gave a number of examples of uh, teachers feeling torn, uh, like they wanted to, they didn't want to, 
betray parents, but they also wanted to protect the kids. There, there does seem to be this kind of baseline assumption that if a kid has a, tr a trans identity and is wanting to keep it from the parents for whatever reason, it must be because the parents are transphobic. There's a lot of echoes to what people talked about with the gay rights movement, with homophobic parents kicking kids out of the house for being gay. You know, there's such a ghost of uh, gay liberation when it comes to this issue. And it's very, very hard for people to separate it. But I, you know, on the, on balance, I thought the piece was, was quite clever because it, it sort of was framed as being really straight down the middle and giving a lot of voice to teachers who were pretty activist and, you know, genuinely worried about the kids. Uh, but then it also interviewed parents who were clearly like lefty progressives who were not predisposed to transphobia at all, but just simply were not entirely convinced that that was the only thing that was going on with their kids. Um, and so I feel like it kind of smuggled in a lot of rationality, but it's interesting because um, a number of people I spoke with thought that the piece still like gave too much credence to the activist side. There seems to be, you know, a lot more critical attention being paid to trans issues in general. Um, and it's not a, it's not a, you know, it's not an avalanche of, of new information or anything. It's just, uh, it seems to me that there is more of a home in mainstream outlets for more thoughtful, critical pieces. And that's very good. And I'm happy to see it. At the same time, this train has been moving along so quickly and this is not enough to stop it. You know, there's, what we need is hard-hitting, direct confrontation with the fundamental claims being made by the gender identity movement. And that's not what's happening. Well, what's happening is that these articles are talking about the consequences of that belief, which then becomes policy and and uh, guidance for schools on a state level, on a federal level. And we see that reflected then in public schools. Um, and then some kids are affected by it in a specific way. And that that so that like consequence of a consequence of a consequence is what we're seeing play out. And we're seeing that sort of an extreme edge of that. There are multiple different edges or multiple avenues that we can talk about the 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 various you know paths that all stem from this this ideology that go in very uh, scary places so there's this is one where uh, children like young young kids some 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 people here are 11 years old <laughs> like yeah, some actually, of the kids yeah I want to read just a couple paragraphs from this piece just so there's there's a little more context. Um, yeah. So, okay. So uh, 
Okay, some education experts are advising schools to use students' preferred names and pronouns. Educators have said they felt bound by their own morality to affirm students' gender identities, especially in cases where students don't feel safe coming out at home. But dozens of parents whose children have socially transitioned at school told the Times they felt villainized by educators who seemed to think that they, not the parents, knew what was best for their children. They insisted that educators should not intervene without notifying parents unless there's evidence of physical abuse at home. Although some did not want their children to transition at all, others said they were open to it, but felt schools forced the process to move too quickly and that they couldn't raise concerns without being cut out completely or having their home labeled, quote, unsafe. Now, really quickly here, many advocates for LGBTQ, LGBTQ youth counter that parents should stop scapegoating schools and instead ask themselves why they don't believe their children. So I took this, like the the first paragraph that I read, that just sounded to me like anybody with like, you know, half a brain is going to read that and say, oh, wow, there's something, I, I understand what this is about. These parents are not bad people. They're not transphobic. They're just being, they're having an entirely rational response to something very unusual that's going on. And then, you know, a line like, you know, parents should ask themselves why they don't believe their children. I read that as these these activists are are idiots. <laughs> like, don't why they don't believe their children. Um, I don't believe my. Yeah. What do you, what do you have? You ever met a child and the kind of the things they say? What right. does that mean? You don't believe well, your children. Do you yeah, know children? Like, yeah. And but again, it's like I uh, there are so many people that when they talk about this, including trans people themselves and a lot of gay people, frankly, although that's starting to change, that say, well, my parents were totally blindsided when I came out as gay and or they didn't believe me either. They said I was going through a phase. So why is this any different? And, you know, to your point, I understand I, I'm with you in a lot of ways that this needs to be taken on in a much more direct, even confrontational way. But the problem is that Matt Walsh is already doing that kind of thing. And a lot of substackers are shouting into the void uh, or to their subscribers, depending on how many they have. So it's not like that isn't happening. No, it, it you, isn't happening. It isn't happening because it's they happening are in the mainstream is what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't ha- it doesn't matter if Matt Walsh is talking about it because he's talking to there's the kinds of people who read the New York times who listen, you know, uh, right. who, who listen to the daily or whatever. They're not, they're never going to hear the, this perspective. And in any case, Matt Walsh isn't really giving us, uh, the kinds of like details that we need to make sense of it. He's just doing, uh, flat out denials. Of course it's ridiculous. And I'm not even going to spend a lot of time explaining to you what might be happening. Um, you know, uh, and it's not not necessarily like to to intellectualize it too deeply, but I think people don't want to hear the flat out no without an explanation of what might be happening and why. And some of these like substacker types that you're talking about do go into this a little bit, and that I think is the kind of material that will change minds um, versus this kind of superficial treatment that matt walsh is giving yeah um having said that i mean it's so um i 
I was misunderstood by my parents, like, like, like every teenager, but I had the additional problem of, you know, being a child of immigrants. Technically I'm an immigrant too. I, we, we came in when I was, we came to America when I was uh, seven years old. Um, so I remember being in Pakistan and I remember coming here. I remember that process and I remember myself shifting and becoming more Westernized and changing in, you know, changing my beliefs, changing my uh, cultural values to one that more closely aligned uh, with that of my peers and my parents finding that very concerning and there being, you know, a huge, just a wide gulf between me and my parents that remains to this day, you know, and there was so much that I did back then that they labeled a phase um, except that they didn't have that kind of language. It's a very Western, like liberal language. Like of, what kind of, of like, stuff? Um, just uh, the the biggest thing was the fact that I was rebelling against the faith. Um, that mm-hmm. was like the main. You know, a lot a lot of things led back to that. But I was telling them that I didn't. You know, I didn't believe in God, and I didn't. Of course, I'm not a Muslim because I'm not. I'm not a theist. Um, and how uh, old and, were you when that started? 16 15 16 yeah mm-hmm. um, i was i was young i was um in freshman year of high school when i started really thinking about this stuff deeply um and by the time sophomore year rolled around i was like a, a hardline atheist and so my parents had to deal with that and i don't think it, they were confused they were scared there was a lot of confrontation between me and my parents all the time uh, and i think that to some degree, it's just normal in every household. It was maybe a little bit more extreme in my household because of where they were coming from and what I was doing. Um, but it, that's part of growing up, too. There's some amount of generational change that's going to happen, and families have to make peace with that. This I, I'm very creeped out by the way in which public school officials feel like it's their position it's their duty or responsibility to get in between what is two generations attempting to understand each other you know and there's always going to be this this is specifically to gender but that there's always going to be this kind of thing this churn that happens um uh, in every generation and and there will be parents who don't understand their children but i don't like the precedence this sets um the you know the whole this is opening up in our in our understanding of uh, the responsibilities of people who are not related to a child, to that child. And in fact, the authority that they might have over that child, um, it, it makes me nervous and creeps me out. It just creeps me out, frankly, to see these teachers talking about their kids as if they're their kids, as if they love these kids and know these kids and you know feel deeply. You see them one hour, <laughs> five days a week with 20 other kids. You don't know this kid, you know, and it's yeah. it's. Odd there's a lot quiet. of projection going on. I think if teachers see kids that remind them of themselves and they kind of just, right. they, they develop a perception of a student that may be largely their own invention. I mean, you see this all the and, time with all kinds of personalities with between. And, and, and there's a, there's, and this, there's a, we're going to save them, you know, and I, pa- teachers have this like kind of this this happens all the time where our teachers are I'm going to save a child through education and you know take them from the horrible place that they're at and elevate them to something new and that's wonderful actually I'm I'm with them there I think that that that's a draw toward to to education 
And it's a good thing to, to feel that you can have this impact on people's lives. I had some wonderful teachers. I had a lot of bad teachers. <laughs> I had a few, yeah. a few very good ones though. Um, and, but, but I do think it's, this is their, their, there's a kind of person whose approach towards education is that they're going to be this shining beacon of, of light uh, and safety for vulnerable children and, uh, you know, uplift them into this new place. You see what I mean, though, that there's this idea of like saving a child from this terrible environment and bringing them to I, I I'm it just makes me very uneasy that we're uh, starting to justify this per- th- this view of the responsibility of a teacher. Um, yeah, I think it's extremely inappropriate. Yeah. And Oh God, I have so many thoughts about this. I mean, just quickly, like I, I, I'm thinking as I'm as I'm listening to you, like the saving, you know, taking a kid who is in a tough situation or is just even in a very comes from a very provincial background and and you know elevating their experience and introducing them to great ideas and literature, like that comes out of a time when kids did not have other sources of information. Like if you're yeah. a very, very poor kid today, you're still going to be able to get online and see all yeah. kinds of things and be exposed to all kinds of things. It's not like a kid, you know, going to a mm-hmm. one room schoolhouse and mm-hmm. some brilliant teacher changing their lives. Not to say that teachers don't change kids' lives, but it's a different kind of thing. And I think in a lot of these schools, again, with this, and I'm curious, like, I can't wait when more data is gathered about what are the socioeconomic um, components, the demographics, the kinds of kids who tend to identify this way. They tend to be more affluent white, although I think that's changing a lot. Um, But they're likely to have parents who are more sophisticated than the teachers. Different kinds of people are going into teaching now than in the past. So I think that changes a lot. I just want to, um, you know, it, it, it says in the piece, you know, states like California, New Jersey, and Maryland expressly advise schools not to disclose information about students' gender identity without their permission. And it so happens that the number one, uh, comments. There are well over a thousand comments as we speak now. And the piece, it it popped up yesterday. So there are going to be exponentially more by the time people are hearing this. The top reader's pick comment is from a a middle school teacher in New Jersey. And I'm just going to actually read her comment. I teach at a middle school in Bergen County, New Jersey. This year, the teachers in my school were specifically instructed not to tell parents if their kids start using a new name or asked to be referred with asked to be referred to with non-sex based pronouns or use the opposite sex bathrooms. After 15 years of never having a trans identified kid in my classroom, I've had several in just the last couple of years. All were girls and all had serious mental health issues. I have a background in psychology. I can read and understand scientific literature. So my opinions on this issue are informed by data, not politics. I am certain that these girls' mental health issues are the cause of their trans identities, not the effect. The number of trans identifying kids has exploded. If trans people were simply coming out in greater numbers now because it's now safer, we'd see kids of both sexes coming out not mainly girls. And we'd see people of all ages coming out, not mainly teens and preteens. And then she goes on to talk about social contagion, uh, 
She ends it. We teachers are hiding important information about kids' mental health from their parents. That's wrong. Parents have a right to know. So there are dozens and dozens of replies. Like I said, this is the top reader's pick. I have to say I was very encouraged by that. However, there are also lots and lots and lots of comments from teachers and parents that see things totally differently and think that this is a natural phenomenon. And yeah. I have to say, I I have moments where I have to ask myself, am I crazy? Am I so convinced? Am I so certain about this that I'm really, really, truly missing something? I know you don't feel that way, Sarah. No, I do not. I do not feel that way. <laughs> you have I the think- certainty gene. Oh, I've uh, very I've always I've always been kind of a little fundamentalist, you know. Um, <laughs> um no, but I I I think it's um it is always it is always encouraging in and anytime there's like a contentious piece like this on the New York Times, you go to the comments and you often see a lot of sanity there. Not too much sanity, but like a good amount, more so than you might even see in the piece. And it's nice um, yes. and it's encouraging. But it actually doesn't really mean anything because ultimately the train is headed in the direction it's headed. Um, and if we have to, we can't just say slow down. We have to say stop. You know, we have to say turn around. Which and that's what a different. Done in Europe, by the way. That's oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, I, it's it's interesting. At some point, we should discuss. We should have uh, you know some European like turf on to talk about what might be <laughs> <Euro-turf>. different. <laughs> some, some you know what might be different about their environment that it feels like there's just a kind of open conversation there in a way that we don't have yeah, here at all. They don't have the Christian right. They don't have fundamentalist. They don't have right wing. They don't have uh, they don't have that whole politicized component. They're not, yeah. they don't have a boogeyman. Yeah. They don't have a boogeyman that, that, which is in itself so like disgusting to me that somebody would just be so concerned about not seeming like they're on the right that they will shut up and give, like actually give right. them a win here anyway, but also harm a lot of kids and people in the process. Um, I think it's a, a, a really ugly, it, it's a, it speaks to something really ugly within you know, liberals and and leftists that they're yeah. allowing uh, Matt Walsh's of the world to really create their agenda for them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just whatever. We're not going to do what that guy is doing. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So. But I think but just in fairness, it's not just that the liberals don't want to seem like they're right wing. They're terrified that the political right is going to weaponize the points that they're what making. does that mean? Like they. What, well, what, what does that mean? A, they try to right make a weapon. subtle point, and then the right wing says, "Oh yeah, see, all these kids are trans; they're all faking. Uh, we should shut them down." They, there's, they, you know, this is extremist. The, the political football gets taken, and they run away with it. And so, I can understand that they have a fear of that. But the problem is, is if, as I said a million times, if the people on the the people who are thoughtful about this don't speak up, it's just going to be the dummies who do. So it's like. Well, it's it. not just a, but it's it's it's. I guess we can we can talk about this in detail at some other time. But I want to know what exactly the like. What are you what are you afraid that the right might do? What might they pass that you think is going to do more harm than good in well, the sense of they, protecting children and and 
they can deny, I mean, they can, they can deny kids access to the care they need, which can mean a whole lot like of things. Like what, gender? Like that, that can mean, right, that can mean they can make it difficult for a 15-year-old to go to get a mastectomy or for a 14-year-old to get on puberty blockers or 12-year-old or whatever. There's a version of of blocking access to healthcare that looks like safeguarding and legitimately is, but there's also a version of it that is taking away necessary kinds of uh, treatments and, and interventions. It's, it's really like hard. What? Right. But Probably, like what? Like specifically well, if, if a kid, so let's say a kid uh, is having a gender dysphoria situation. I can mm-hmm. see potentially if they are in a state where there has been legislative action uh, really coming down hard on everything that they're not even able to talk to any kind of mental health counselor that they just are get uh, dismissed. I don't know, but I mean, I, this, I feel then, like that's, that's, I mean, it, that's just access to mental health care. So I, I don't see yeah, that, why then we're talking about that. Yeah, exactly. It, uh, what I've seen is conservatives are more, they're, they're more for kids with gender identity problems going to see a counselor because that's what's that's the step that's that that is being skipped at the moment because that's that's gatekeeping you know you just want to yeah. affirm 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 not send them to therapy and see if they have you know anxiety or you know they're being bullied at school or something like is there some other cause to but all I this think that, that's yeah there's, I, I, yeah go ahead so, there's going to be an anxiety i can just i i can imagine that there would be an anxiety that then somebody on the right would say, oh, well, if your little boy is wearing dresses, we need not only to tell him that he's not trans, but to get him to stop wearing dresses. That's where the anxiety comes in. Like, what is yeah, gender nonconformity? Yeah. Like, how it's so complicated. And the problem is, is that both sides just they they siphon out all the complexity. But if the if you're living in a state that is controlled by the political right, I can see how you would be really, really fearful. It's kind of like people don't, you know, pe- people who are pro-choice don't like it when women talk about regretting their abortions or talking about maybe there should be, you know, 15 week ban. Maybe there should be maybe there are subtleties here and gradations. They don't like that because the result is that possibly some state legislators are going to say, okay, well, you guys, mm-hmm. you got, since you brought mm-hmm. it up, we're going to get rid of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I hear you. I, I, and I understand where that tendency is coming from. I think it's totally wrong though, because it's, if you're performing this calculus of what is really harmful um, to a child, there is, you know, this, this horrible scenario of, uh, you know, this extreme scenario of conservatives might uh, crystallize, uh, you know, binary gender no, presentation yeah. or whatever. Right. Like boys can't wear nail polish and and girls have to wear skirts or something to school. Um, it, I feel like that's one that's a very extreme case and unlikely to happen. But if it does, I don't think that's to me, there's the, the harm that that. Um, kids being forced to dress as their, you know, as, as a je- their sex stereotyped uh, um, would dress. There's that. That's a harm. Uh, there's a much bigger harm on the other side, though, of having medicalizing these kids that shouldn't be medicalized. Um, even even, you know, there's harms to social transition. There's this idea that social transition yeah. poses no harms, but there's a harm there, too. Um, uh, it, 
I mean, and and to say that it's bad on both sides is I feel like I feel like it's not true. In this case, it's not true. In some cases, yeah, it is true. Um, yeah, I know. it's it's true. I think in cases of you know the the, the CRT laws uh, that that conservatives tend to really overreact in a very stupid way um, when it comes to some of those bills, not all of those bills, but some of those bills are actually like just uh, dumb um, on, on every level. But so, so that does happen in other realms. I don't think it's happening here. I don't think that the, the, when you weigh it all, put it all in the balance of what a potentially conservatives can do about this and what liberals can do about this. The potential harm on one side is far greater. It follows people for the rest of their lives. You know, like a 14-year-old being uh, being pr- uh, put into this kind of social environment in which they're on the fast track to a mastectomy. Uh, this person is, is experiencing an extreme kind of harm. There are plenty of people who've been to religious schools who grew up to be healthy adults, you know, Catholic schools or whatever, in which they were forced to dress in a specific way. It's annoying. And then you're 18 and you're out of there. And it's fine. No lasting scars. But there are literal scars <laughs> on the other side. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. I don't think it is. I don't think it is comparable at all. No, I know. You know. I know. Um, I know. I just I think there all here's another example. I think this is important to mention. There's anxiety that your children will be taken away from you. If parents yeah. are quote unquote affirming their child or letting them experiment or whatever, I think if you're living in a state like, I don't know, Texas, there's mm-hmm. a real anxiety that the state could come and accuse you of of child endangerment because you are not standing in the way of uh, gender experimentation. There's, there's, that's terrifying to parents. On the other hand, in some states, if the parents don't affirm, they could be investigated by child protective services and potentially have their kids taken away. I think there have been, there have been examples of, of that. So there it's have like- been. there's been in my state, there's been like movements with the with the Democrats to try and uh, officially uh, legislate, officially call uh, parents who are not affirming their child's gender. Um, to be yeah and they're sanctuary in the form of, of, of right. abuse yeah yeah and so those I, kids can come to california and get affirmed because they're in a sanctuary i think that state. both sides that in that case the both sides issue is it both sides ism is true i think yeah school has it's no place in, in massive, drawing these lines massive overreach. Uh, one way or another um yeah. massive massive overreach uh and just absolutely absurd that they have they have no right to tell parents how to parent their kids unless they are literally being abused and there are very strict lines of what what constitutes abuse and the interesting thing is they often don't even catch actual abuse you know we're talking about a system that misses out on like real problems all the time all the time yeah um yeah and this is the fact is that this is going on in in uh, upper middle class white households probably disproportionately so those are more visible we talk about them more often i, I think it's we're going to see we're going to see a lot more yeah. than lower income households yeah though, no too, oh because i mean I, sure, I, yeah. I grew up in that kind of environment and there's a lot of troubled young kids and they're troubled yeah. for a lot of reasons they have just you know crazy um environments that they come home to all the time and they act out in various ways i think they're far more vulnerable to something like the pull of 
of gender as like this is a solution to all your problems and here's a social environment that oh, yeah. is going to affirm 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 and now you're special and now you matter and uh, you know it, it's it's these case it's these kids that I think are really vulnerable and then they do not even have parents where who have their eye on anything who can protect them who can do what needs yeah. to be done um, in those cases uh, and I'm really really concerned about what's about to happen. Uh, this is the beginning of, of something new. And I think in the next coming years, we're going to see a lot more. Um, we're going to see examples of, of the ways in which this, you know, leads to some catastrophic outcomes. Um, are we done with this? Uh, yeah, this because this leads, into, yeah. This leads yeah. into um, a piece that you flagged. Yes. Yes. Um, so this is a, um, a piece on the Federalist that I ran into today, and it was published Sarah, why are you a few days ago. Are you, uh, you're hard, right? You're, you're, you're a very right Hard, hard, you have a right. subscription? Like, is it delivered to your house in a in a paper bag, like a Mylar bag, so nobody sees that you get the Federalist? Like the way they used um, to hide the Playboy. <laughs> we don't want the neighbors to And, like, it. sex toys and stuff, right? Like, anytime you had yeah. anything like that delivered, it was... Um, it was hidden away. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I am a proud uh, Federalist reading proud <laughs> woman. Um, no, I, I don't know. What is a Federalist? It's it's a, just a website, right? Well, is I it think a, it a full to, magazine? It does it, do they full, publish? A full magazine. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I think they used to. But yeah, the Federalist, uh, um, you know, it's about it's federalism. You know, they actually have a great... Um, uh, Ben is a Dominic, um, Megan McCain's husband. He mm. was, uh, he used to do a podcast for the Federalist interview show and it was excellent. I thought he was an excellent interviewer. I used to listen mm. to him all the time. Anyway. Really? Wow. Yeah. All the time? The Federalist? Constantly. Okay. So. Yeah. Mainlined the Federalist podcast. That's yeah. the kind yeah. of life I got. Living the dream. Yeah. Okay. So you read this piece. Uh, it was. It's by um, Laura Bryant Hanford, uh, and it was published a few days ago. Um, and it's about this. I mean, it's just this harrowing story. And you know, before I go into it, I think people should keep in mind that one, you know, biased source probably. Um, it's the Federalist. They have a they have a stance on gender identity issues. Um, and it, in these cases, it doesn't even have to be like a deliberate thing. You know, I, I the way that I like to explain bias is that it's it's re, it, it, you can go into something and with the best of intentions, come out with a really wonky story. If everybody in the newsroom and everybody that's supporting you and everybody that's fact checking is on the exact same side, side as you, yeah. that's the danger here. Um, and that's probably, um, you know, we, we just have to assume that that's probably happening with any time, anytime we see Reports like this. Having Except said that, not in the um, New York Times, not, not in the New York Times, never, never there, not never. In, never there. Well, so it, you know, in the case of with the with the story we just we just discussed, it's interesting because they're going against the common narrative of the New York Times, right? So yeah. it, I feel like I can s- trust the reporting on that issue, even if I don't feel like they drew the right balance. I feel oh. like the the things that they do say are probably true. Yes. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know they don't I mean? have any margin for error. Right. In, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, 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 so that's that. So uh, with all that throat clearing aside, uh, this is a really, uh, it, it, this article really chilled me to the bone. It's about a 14 uh, year old 
in uh, Virginia uh, who was, uh, you know, she should I go over the story or should I spoil yeah. what happens? Okay, so so she's um, this 14-year-old named Sage who was adopted by her grandmother. And her grandmother is throughout the article known as, uh, called her mother because she's, you know, fully adopted by her. Um, and she uh, starts uh, identifying as a male um, in her school. Uh, she is, you know, a, a kid that's come from a troubled background, right? I mean, she's an orphan um, or at, at the very least fathers uh, passed away and, and, and yeah, she's not, her parents are not able to, they're, they're not in, the, they're not in her, um, in her life. So she's, she's, she's somebody with a, with a troubled background um, comes to identify as a uh, male in her, um, in her school. And uh, this is not something that the school chooses to tell the parents. Uh, yeah. You know, so the, the parents have no idea uh, that uh, Sage has decided to identify as a boy, that she is uh, using the boys' restroom, um, and that for, for all intents and purposes, the school is supposed to be treating her as if she is a male. Um, so uh, the interesting thing about this is that right off the bat, uh, Sage later says to the, to the reporter that she was being bullied by the boys, <laughs> um, that they were following behind her, uh, you know, touching her, threatening her with a uh, knife violence and rape, um, uh, you know, fo- like following her into the bathroom, that kind of thing. And is this, um, yeah, that was, so, and is that after she started using the boys bathroom yes, like they were yes. okay um, okay i mean that yes, this so, is really extreme and we should say this is um i'm not sure how to pronounce this it's um uh it's appa appomattox county virginia which is like in the center of the state near lynchburg this is not um like a outside of dc kind of virginia this yeah is, yeah this is um uh, so i'm actually this surprised red virginia this is yeah, red virginia, red virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, on August 23rd, according to school notes, reports were received from students and teachers that Sage had used a boy's bathroom and encountered hostile boys there. Um, and then she started using the nurse's bathroom for safety reasons. Um, so she's had a lot of run in with the boys who are obviously not welcoming of her. Um, and uh, she has had all these meetings um, with the school counselor school counselors and and then at at this point when sage is really going into this like mental breakdown um becoming very emotional uh that the school finally contacts the parents and tells them that she's 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 going through this bullying and and kind of this tough time but without revealing still that she is identifying as male so they still don't tell her tell them this (laughs) Eh, minor Um, detail it's only after uh, the mom, actual grandma, but we'll just call her the mom, uh, F- Michelle, finds uh, a new name on a school ha- hall pass uh, that she finds out that, that Sage has been identifying as a boy at school. They talk about it. Um, and according to according to this, I'm just going to read directly from the article. As Michelle sat with her on the floor, Sage tried to stop the tears as she told her mother a group of male students had jacked her up against the wall of the boys' bathroom and threatened her with violence and that she was terrified of what they would do. Michelle tried to comfort her, assuring her that she could stay home while they figured out how to handle the bullying. That night, Sage disappeared. 
She was found nine days later in Maryland, a victim of sexual assault. That was just the beginning of her family's ordeal. Okay. So there's a, there's a confrontation with mm-hmm. the mom and Sage, and it seems like the mom is supportive of whatever's going on, uh, but she disappears. Uh, so it, 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 turns out that sage has made some friends um online uh and turns out those friends were sex traffickers you know online predators that were posing as friends um and uh, she was basically trafficked by them and taken to washington dc over the course of a few days where she was uh where she uh, uh was you know, brutally, really sexually brutal abused. description, like tortured. I mean, just yeah. extremely violent, uh, yeah. sexual, sexual abuse. assault for, for, assault. for many days. Um, then, uh, the, then, then she's the FBI, uh, tells Michelle that, uh, Sage has been found and she and her husband, you know, drive through the night to pick up their kid and they've at, at Baltimore, in Maryland, so now we're crossing state lines from Virginia to to, to Maryland, um, and they're stunned to hear. This is I'm quoting directly. They were stunned to hear that their child, who had just survived unspeakable trauma, was being held in a juvenile detention cell, and that they were being summoned to a hearing late that afternoon before Judge Robert Kershaw. Uh, when they entered the courtroom, Sage appeared from the penitent penitentiary remotely on screen with only court appointed attorney Anissa Khan and assistant public defender present in the per- in person. I love you, baby. Michelle cried to her daughter who responded. I love you too, Nana. To their shock, Khan spoke up and alleged on Sage's behalf that she did not wish to return home and had been both emotionally and physically abused by, now we're switching genders here, by his parents and connection with his expressed male identity and desire to live as a trans male. So, you know, the, the mom, Michelle, finds out like that one evening that her daughter is now identifying as a male. She is out the door that that night. Right. So there's no time for them to really accept or not accept or or, right. or what have you what's going on. Um, and yet uh, this is what's being alleged by the uh, the the public uh, assistant public defender. Yeah. Uh, and so this is the sort of the beginning of the story. How should, how long should I, I feel like I can, I can just narrate the whole no, thing. Should I? Going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Sage later, later tells uh, Michelle that the assistant uh, defender, public defender, Khan, Anissa Khan told me to tell the judge, my parents hit me and starved me. Um, the goal, it seemed like that the, that the public defender had all along is to make sure that they win this case to remove Sage from her parents' custody and to place her in a foster home in order to have her affirmed properly as a male. Um, So it's, it's uh, there, the custody has been taken away from them, from, from the parents Mm -hmm. uh, and they bar them from seeing her at this point. So she has been trafficked. Um, has been staying at a penitentiary uh, and is now no longer uh, able to see her parents. But well, she's been taken there. They no longer have custody. No. Yeah. Right. Um, The court has decided also now to treat her as a runaway, uh, providing grounds for temporary custody in Maryland. Um, 
so th- it's supposed to be the case, which I I, I had some inkling of of, uh, of this, but the, this uh, there's the interstate juvenile compact, yeah. uh, which uh, which is supposed to be these like interstate law that that um, juveniles should be returned to their home state. Um, and the judge, the Maryland judge, delays his return for two months, which leads directly to her next trafficking episode. So she's kept in solitary detention as a runaway um, for many days. Then she's transferred to a children's home um, in which she's housed as a male. And she has she gets repeatedly assaulted there as the only like female in male quarters. Um, it's just, uh, really astonishing how much abuse this girl goes through, through, throughout the course of this, this saga. Um, uh, then, um, while she was, uh, she's in this children's home, she, uh, gets no letters or cards or anything from her mom, although her mom has been sending them. Her mom has been trying to reach her by phone as well. Um, and, uh, Sage receives none of this communication. Uh, and this leads Sage to believe that her mother does not want her back. Um, and it is, we don't, it's not clear what's happening, like who is getting in the way of these communications. Yeah, well, it's pro- well uh, I mean, I think if the kid is in the custody of the state or the county, probably correspondence has to go through a social worker or lawyer. Right. So at at lawyer some point. Right. At some somebody blocked somebody yeah. blocked this communication, so the the child is under the impression that mother doesn't want her back. Right. Um. And they have not seen each other since that night. That uh, in this one like one on one way since um since she was uh since she left that night, um and was uh, trafficked. Um, she goes to foster homes where she skips, skips skips classes, does smokes weed and does drugs and all these things. Um, and is told later that, um, sorry, uh, hold on one second. I lost the page. Shit. That's okay. Uh, uh, so she, she is approved treatment, uh, to prove placement in a, um, residential treatment facility, um, for traumatic victims. Her mother has been trying to get her this treatment uh, for a long time. She did find placement in mid-October in another place, um, but the judge rejects it because they would treat her as a girl. Um, so she does not get this help that she needs um, for you know almost another month. And in this new facility, she is affirmed male. Um, Sage is frightened of being locked in this facility. Um, and she texts a friend, I'm going to dip, which is to say, I'm going to, I'm going to leave. Uh, so she cuts off her quarter required, uh, monitor runs away to meet another friend in Texas who she thought was, um, a 16 year old. Uh, it was not, it was another predator, uh, who raped, starved, drugged, brutalized her. This is from the police accounts, um, what the police told the mom, Michelle, uh, and she just, and this time it was, it was for months. Uh, she was eventually found through a tip um, the, on on social media. Uh, Michelle found it, the mother found it, and led uh, the marshals in Texas to rescue their daughter. Um, and at this point, finally, they are um, reunited, 
and able to speak about able to speak to each other for the first time. Um, she, but this it's it's not over. It's it's so crazy. This thing just keeps going on and on. But it it it, it is not over. Sage, when she returns to Virginia, um, uh, is staying at a different uh, is hold on uh, staying at North Spring. Um, the, is that, is that the, like a there? Is that like a treatment center? This was the treatment center that she yeah. ran away from. That tried okay. to run away from. Um, she is held there, uh, and Michelle has to drive four hours each way for her weekly allotted visit. Sage is heavily medicated, suffering from constant nightmares, and fearful of both residents and doctors. You know, according to the uh, reporter here, um, Sage told her mother that her counselor also pressured Sage to tell Michelle she wanted gender affirming mastectomy. Um. Is she you know, still identifying as female? So at what point does Sage stop identifying as male? It's not you know? clear. It's not yeah. clear at what point it happens. She is at this point now that she's seeing her mother. She is asking her mother if she could buy girls clothes, that she doesn't want to be a boy anymore. But it's hard to know because it's been months has gone on. This girl has gone through some extremely traumatic experiences and uh she has been not been allowed to meet anybody to spend time with anybody who doesn't affirm her um and one can you know easily imagine that again 14 15 year old is what we're talking about she turns 15 throughout the course of the story this is a very young person a traumatized person and she's being surrounded by adults who are telling her that her parents are abusing her um, don't want her, right? They're they're they're, they're blocking communications somehow, um, and she's under the impression that they don't uh, want anything to do with her until she's able to actually speak to her mother. Um, you know, it's it's just a crazy story from start to finish, and every official now now again. The Federalist, this is a Federalist story. Yeah, I this mean, is I, have, I think the- I, I, there's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of holes in this story. I think the story is worth talking about, like, you know, mm-hmm. and, and a sort of broad brush strokes, yep. because yep. there's a lot going yep. on in it that that is happening sort of across the board. I, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the details, yeah, I think, I mean, first of all, the real story is this sex trafficking, like what, who were, the, yeah. she was kidnapped and like held and brutally Raped, like, and, I, and, and 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 meanwhile everyone's concern is that she's being affirmed or not yeah affirmed. i mean i you know sex trafficking it also that can mean like a lot of things i mean anybody who is a sex worker unless they are like a totally an independent contractor independent agent uh is considered sex trafficked i mean sex trafficking is a very very broad category right but if you're 14 um, i think oh no uh, totally you know, i'm like, not i'm not saying yeah, yeah, yeah. right but it's like I, it's just that's it's the the no. term sex trafficking is yes, like yeah. extremely yes. like one of those grabby by the collar terms and i also i suspect that that sage was like telling a lot of different people a lot of mm-hmm. different things th- mm-hmm. throughout this so yes. i i highly yes. doubt she was like i'm not a transgender i'm not trans and yeah. everybody was like yes you are i'm sure her story yes. changed yeah yeah uh, on the on the hour but um but yeah right. i mean the fact is that people at in institutional settings and at very high levels uh are are totally bought in yeah yeah yeah, I, I I agree with you entirely that um the 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 details of the story are should be um uh, held lightly, <laughs> you know. Like I I don't think we should necessarily disbelieve it, but I 
I, I feel like that the majority of the story is being narrated, you know, by Michelle, really, like through, from, you know, the reporter I feel like is, Michelle is narrating. Michelle might be the friend of this reporter, <laughs> right, or you right. know, at least the, the reporter was sort of dispatched to to tell right, Michelle's right. story, and which is fine. That, it's just totally yeah, right, valid. It, yeah, it's 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 a mother getting her her story out. I don't fe- think that there's anything you know necessarily wrong with that. Having said that, it's obviously a it, it feels like it's a story that's that's one sided. And now that Sage is with Michelle, I would take what she has to say with a grain of salt for the reasons that you mentioned. That I think it's probably unlikely that she was, you know, she, uh, she identified as a boy and then just stopped immediately identifying and and nobody listened to her and everybody was pushing it. She was probably. She's she's a part of this process, yeah, right? She's, like mani- she's, she's I mean, she's manipulating the situation to get what she wants at any given time, as all kids do. When as they all get, kids, but I mean, in this yeah. case, this is a really good example of the fact that kids don't know what they want, one, and they don't know what's good for them. That's why they're kids. That's why we have custody over them. Like she, this this girl gets sex trafficked twice. She's raped yeah. and assaulted numerous times throughout the, the the course of the story, and even if it. Every single time is kind of a little bit of an exaggeration. It's still a, a, a horrible oh, thing yeah, no, it's for horrific. a young girl to go through. And she can't she she doesn't know her own mind. Right. Like, And that's and, and we have to be able to state that out loud that that young people have. And it's true of true of anyone, true of adults, but especially young people have um, uh, a, a lot of pressures that are pulling them in one one direction or another. They don't have that that strong sense of self that many of us develop over time um that that makes us less susceptible to various social you know you know pulls and pushes and they you know they're they're vulnerable they have gone through trauma sometimes very recently with not a lot of power and control over their situation yeah you know i'm not saying don't believe the kids i'm saying don't uh you know uh don't don't believe them without verifying. Like don't don't take their word for well, it. Don't kind just of thing. put them in. The, yeah, I mean, and the other thing is, people always point to very high numbers of um, kids in foster care uh, being identified as LGBTQ. There was a. I, I actually pulled up a. There was a piece in Time Magazine, I guess from last summer, maybe or two summers ago, just about the problem of trans youth not getting the services they need or being in jeopardy when they're, you know, in the in county than the child dependency system and you know says one multi-year study found that 30 percent of foster youth identified as lgbtq versus 11 percent of the general population five percent of foster youth identify as transgender compared with one percent in the general population it's like okay there if you it's if you end up in a group home after having the series of traumas and you've got a bunch of mental health disorders and you are on a bunch of medication and you are being overseen by like a clusterfuck of mediocrities. That's a perfect storm it is. for yeah. identifying. It is. And, and uh, it's, again, it's always this, this causation versus correlation. I mean, there was a, um, in this time story, one of, one of the uh, a trans identified kid was suing, um, the county or the mm. system or something. And the lawyer mm. of this kid says trans youth tend more frequently to end up at, in these kind of facilities. They've been rejected <laughs> by foster families. So they become more difficult to place. They are being punished for our, for their identity when they haven't done anything. Now, this is the kind of logic that you would think people would like be able to like get straight by the ninth right. grade. 
Right. But we're having, I mean, the, the problem with this specific situation, you know, of, of homes and therapists and school counselors and teachers, I mean, this is a, a sort of a closed system when, you know, when it comes to uh, people who, who really read the same things, talk about the same things, think the same way, like feel, feel, I mean, I, of course I'm drawing like a very broad budget and there's going to be some school therapist. I'm a conservative, I've always been, but, <laughs> but, but there is a strong, there's a strong lean in one direction when it comes to these kinds of services and this sort of realm of, of, um, you know, uh, professionals and we have to think about what that might mean when we clearly have an ideology like that that really functions as a religion for some amount of people and they are believing it without thinking the kinds of logic that you just painted where it's it's you know you really got to wonder why aren't they thinking clearly about this like it 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 could very clearly be and seems to more obviously be the case that Trauma leads to trans identification, not the other way around, um, or maybe the other way around a little bit too. But but well, yeah. I mean, but like obviously, play, there's a play off of it. Plays off of itself, right? I mean, these are. But yeah, it's right. You, but, I but mean, you get kids, kids, the personality. girls with anxiety. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, you hate your body. You've been assaulted. There's just there's right. so many many factors. The um, the d- comment disorder, that you read yeah. from the the. Uh, from the New York Times article that we just discussed, uh, there was uh, uh, the the teacher specifically said that she had never had you know trans identified kid for fifteen years and then just had a bunch all of a sudden and all were girls and all had serious serious mental health issues. You know, um, there evidence is out there for people who are willing to I listen know, about who, what kind of person takes on this identity. And anecdotally, that's what I've seen too. I mean, not that it matters, but. Um, well, that's the thing is, and then everybody people. accuses her of using anic data. Everybody, yeah, but that's right, all anybody. Right. But, but the thing using. is, we actually have data too, though. Like we actually have data to. too. But it, but in that case, uh, they just flip the causation around. They say the anxiety yeah. is due to the you know the 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 lack of acceptance of of gender identity. Um, you know, I I'm my I'm in the pit of my stomach. I just feel like we are headed towards a really dark place. And, you know, something needs to happen and it needs to be more hard hitting than just nipping away at the edges and documenting these horrible cases of like abuse and just sort of this extreme case. Yeah, where the outlier, really it, fell, it makes it worse. Yep. Right. Because yeah. then it's like because then the activists will say, why are you cherry picking these extreme cases? Uh, but that's all I mean, you have, right? That's all. Right. In, in these like, cases, oh, men just, are you... raping women in prisons. Yes, but you know, not that many. But yes, but it's not really the main issue here, it's, right? But it's yeah. just the extreme cases are always the most visible cases, and they're yeah. most visible for a lot of reasons. You know, the, the clear, clearly in this case, in the in the in the case of the story about Sage and Michelle, there's a woman who wants to, you know, she, she is mad and wants to make a wants this uh, what happened to her daughter to make a change and and in fact that there is a bill called sage's law yeah. that is um in the virginia uh, uh like it is being considered it was introduced by delegate dave larock 
um, for the 2023 session. Republican. Um, Republican. And, well, I haven't checked. Federalist. I'm assuming. I'm, I'm assuming. assuming. Well, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, um, and it... it it uh, will make it so that uh, the bill requires the Board of Education to include in its guidelines to contact like of contact criteria um, to basically discuss, tell parents <laughs> if the child uh, identifies as a gender different from their biological sex. And it prohibits. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It prohibits yeah. any licensed school counselor, professional counselor, clinical social worker or psychologist. Um, to encourage or coerce a minor to withhold from a parent the fact that the minor's perception of his gender is inconsistent with the biological sex. Okay, so, so here's the problem with this. If they are identifying this way but not showing any interest in medicalizing, not actually making any physical changes, how is that any different from a kid being identifying as gay, saying that he's gay, and the teachers kind of know about it, um, but they don't disclose the to the parents? Stuff. This is the problem. Okay, but the right, bathroom stuff. One. So, so okay. it, that's I think I think that's the main thing. And uh, outside of that, I I agree that I don't think that there's there might be some harm of social. People talk about you know social transition has harms too, and there might be a little bit. I I sure, but you got to talk about that. Let, but there is actually I don't want to legislate all of that. Yeah. No, yeah, I yeah. know. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. I don't think we should legislate away all harms. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there might be there might uh-huh. be some harms with social social yeah. transition harm, harm reduction. It, it's the yeah. it's the bathroom thing, you know. With, with Sage's story, like there was a lot of boys who were clearly uh, not having it, and they were bullying her, and they were following her, and they were doing all these like scary, like threatening things. It's, it, it, I mean, Man. one can say if you're a, you know a trans activist, you just we just need more acceptance. Um, or one can say if one has you know a lot more logic, like running you know it, it, behind the scenes that. Uh, boys are physically intimidating. Boys, you know, have yeah, have which a, is why the girls <laughs> don't go running after the boys with knives and bullying them when the exactly. trans-identified <laughs> male is in the girls' bathroom. They run away from the male, right? The, I mean, there's a there, there's a reason it's happening the way that it's happening, and it's because of biological sex. Um, yeah, but of course, uh, uh, trans activists will say we can. Uh, socially construct our way out of this and educate people and um, things will be dandy. Uh, yeah. You know, once you the know, revolution I, comes. I had um, a very interesting slash dismaying exchange a few days ago, and it's totally germane to this. Uh, so I went to uh, to see my doctor and I actually just wrote a Substack piece about this, uh, which I will post probably when we finish recording but uh I, I i went to see my doctor not my general practitioner because i don't have one as i have discussed on my other podcast and uh, i still cannot get one because none of them are taking any patients but anyway this is a specialist that i see for just it's minor this has to do with family history whatever this is uh a doctor that i've seen you know on and off for several years and I always really liked her and she's very personable and she likes to kind of rant about managed care and about insurance companies. And I, I, I enjoy chatting with her and uh, somehow she started talking about how uh, doctors, Oh wait, I was again lamenting that I couldn't get a general practitioner. And she said, yeah, nobody wants to be a doctor anymore because it's so impossible. It's a terrible job. Nobody wants to do it. All the only, the only people going into this are like idiots. She likes to rant and rave about what, what idiots people are. So idiots and immigrants. My, my, my favorite kind of conversation. <laughs> idiots and immigrants are becoming doctors. Yeah, that's what she said. 
That's what she's known. <laughs> uh, so, and you know, she started throwing around my favorite buzz terms like analytical thinking and critical thinking like oh you know they don't have critical thinking skills and i'm like yeah that's right yeah and she's like yeah <laughs> they, i know it's crazy it's crazy yeah yeah and we're like all on the same page and i said yeah i know well that's why you know i'm concerned about this gender youth medicine stuff because you know she said critical thinking skills and to me that's like the green light right like if you if, <laughs> if, uh, if among the heterodoxy like if, if this oh, kind no. of thing is a sexual encounter like if somebody uses the word critical thinking skills that's like consent that's like consent yeah. to keep the conversation going oh, God. Right? so so i so i said yeah you know and i'm i'm really interested in this and i've you know talked about it a lot and she's like yeah i know like it's just it's just crazy and i said i know and these these oh, institutions no, are, these the the american academy of pediatrics like they're so dumb and she's like i know they're so dumb they're so dumb and and uh and and finally it's like you know and and these kids they're just they're just trying to be who they are they're just trying to live and it was like oh no oh no oh god and i was like um oh uh 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 and and i was like yeah they're trying to be who they are so they shouldn't be you know medicated and medicalized (laughs) and she's like you know and the parents the parents are driving this and I was like, okay, we're back on track. The parents are driving oh, it. No, yes, no. yes, yes, the parents are driving it because they've bought into this. And she's like, you know, I just don't, you know, they just weren't free. They weren't free to, to come out before and now they can. And I was like, oh no. my God, like change, change the subject, change the no. subject, change the subject. And I'm trying to like, I'm like, okay, well, anyway, like, okay, this is, you know. And then suddenly, Sarah, suddenly the conversation does change topics and we're talking about vaccines. Now we're on vaccines. Okay, and, okay. And somehow... It, she's going um, like it, it was so somehow, you know, kids have all these mental health. I guess this is how we segued into it. So many mental health issues. We agreed on that. Uh, pandemic has been very uh, difficult, damaging for young people. Yes. Agreed. Uh, and then somehow it's uh, well, a lot of parents, of course, they were so upset about the schools. You know, they wanted the schools closed because they were very afraid uh, of their kids going to school and getting COVID because, you know, a lot of kids were dying of COVID. No. Sarah, Sarah, this is my doctor. Yes. And I was like, Oh no. Yeah. And so, yeah. So now you need a new doctor. That can't, you can't go back there. I can't even get any, it's the only doctor I can get an appointment with. (laughs) There's nothing. I just, I know I have similar problems. Yes. And it's like, but this is like a really smart woman who, and I, and it's like this, where is she getting this? Like, it's totally, it is coming. She's, she's innocent, you know, or yeah, like, or yeah, I, I just, yeah, yeah. and if she's not getting it, like, I think she, not that it matters. I think she went to an Ivy league medical school. I don't know. I can't remember, ooh, ooh, ooh. but like, yeah, Oh okay. yeah. I only go, <laughs> Sarah, I only go to doctors that went to Harvard medical school. Okay. I only care those. Uh, so, but uh, yeah. Anyway, it was it was very disturbing, and and I actually like I thought about it so much, and I was driving home, and I was like, well, maybe I miss maybe I misunderstood her, like for, for the gender part of it, because we were really like talking over one another. It was like very animated, and we were just like interrupting each other. I was like, okay, maybe I totally misread that, but then I was like, well, no, but I didn't mishear the the kids were dying no. of COVID thing. No. Did not mishear that. No. 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 So. Here we are. Yep. Yeah, that is that's funny that that <laughs> man, I didn't like that ride, Megan. 
Because I right. knew, I knew it would end somewhere badly. I knew we weren't going to go. But where you know, we it's like, but that she could easily be one of. The, and so that was the thing when I read the comments in the New York Times piece was like, these are like really well intentioned people, and they are just seeing this completely differently. That doesn't and, excuse it. That makes the situation worse. That makes okay. it scarier, in my opinion, because if the smart people are not getting the information, like if they're, if they're, if they are living in a bubble or whatever it is that is happening in this case, um, that ha- will have repercussions for all of us. Um, and we should be, we should be concerned about it. And we should be concerned about how, how it's happening. Like how, how is it getting to this point that the smart woman, you know, well, according to you, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't consider her smart. <laughs> I'm still alive. She keeps me alive. I don't know, Megan. Say? Well, you've seen her once. You don't know. No, I've been seeing her no. for 10 years. No, I've seen her oh, on and what? on for 10 years. No, I know her oh, very no, no, well. No, 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 Okay. Yes. I, th- I thought, hold on, I'm confused. So I thought I thought you were having trouble finding a doctor. No, no, no. I have family. I don't want to tell you what her specialty is because I don't want her to be doxxed by our listeners. No, she, it's just this, it's a, Okay, sure. No, whatever, this is okay. somebody. Yeah, yeah no, I just, I've gone to her like, you know, for on and off for like 10 years, just for like management of um, a con- something that would, I, there's family history, uh, sure, whatever. Sure. It's, this okay. sounds more serious okay. than it is. It's just, no, it's not a it's, big deal, but I'm just saying she's a specialist. No, I've seen her countless times and I enjoy talking with her and I feel that we have a good rapport, oh, no. which is why I allow myself to get into these conversations. You should talk to your doctors. You don't want to know, you don't want to know this about talk them. To because then you, you should not talk to your doctor. It's I, like the, I, all the drug commercials are wrong. They're I wrong know. about talk to your, this. When, I, you when they say talk to your doctor, I, I thought they meant about culture war stuff. Ye, in those pharmaceutical yeah. ads. First of all, so, you're so experiencing this is like, these symptoms, talk to your doctor. <laughs> you're i mean you're not supposed to talk to your friends about this stuff megan like this is not this is not uh but it's a hipaa uh, kind of conversation you want to have tell other people what i said because it would be a hipaa violation but you can that's right here you are yeah um i know oh that's horrible though that's are you that that way like i'm very chatty like i i love getting into conversations with nothing people that like are not likely to have a conversation and it's because it's it's a form of hubris because it's like oh I'm special and they I'm the most interesting patient that she has. Mm. I <laughs> will not true because she probably talk has very interesting to patients. people that I think I'm never going to see again. But yeah. if I'm going to see somebody again, I am you know treating it as a different kind of relationship, and I'm much more private about what I yeah, choose to reveal. Yeah, you're better about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty. And the other thing is like, I honestly don't want to know because it's so, you, you hear something yeah. like that. And then I, and then I can never trust their medical opinion again. Like it, the, the trust thing for me, it's just like hang in there. You know what I mean? Like it's already on the edge and I don't want it to go. <laughs> like I don't, yeah. I can't, I, I can't do it. I, um, so I prefer to just, uh, blindfold myself and just walk as if, my doctors know what they're yeah. doing and they probably do in most of the cases boundaries. except when they don't and then I'm I feel like they don't I'm, I mean honestly like I'm starting to feel like I used to I don't know any like I don't have any doctors in my family like I just don't I don't know that many doctors personally and so I think I like put undue I gave no, a review um, of them a lot I have a ton of doctors in my family, and I can say with confidence that. Of course, you do, Sarah. No, yeah, well, you know, immigrant. We we talked about this. (laughs) 
South Asian, of course. Very smart people who are very, you know, I mean, they, so this whole idea of expert, it's a very strange concept because when it comes to something like a general practitioner, there's a lot to know, a lot to know. And they rely heavily on the guidance of, you know, of authoritative bodies within a certain field of medicine. Yeah, they're professional organizations. Yeah. They rely heavily on them. And if you're smart, if you're a smart doctor, you're a careful doctor, you're a dutiful doctor, you are paying attention to what your professional association has to say about things. And you are changing your, you know, prescriptions um, and recommendations to your patients accordingly. Like this is the, that's a responsible thing to do um, in many respects. But what happens when the professional associations like there's there's a back door, you know, like there's a back door in which activists are walking in and having an undue influence on what these professional associations are are recommending. And there's kind of a bias and a lean, not a powerful one, not like not to say that you can't trust them entirely, but that but that it is not reflective of uh, reality as clearly as it would be if this back door was closed. Um, and I think that, you know, with professional associations, very interesting to just see how, you know, this happens to institutionals, institutions across the spectrum, but professional associations are a very interesting case study of how activists can kind of come in at the top, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and influence things um, from the top down um, in a very insidious, in, insidious way um and in the fields that i pay attention to the kinds of things i'm very like specifically obsessed about for my because of my own you know personal like family medical backgrounds and shit um Mm. i i I see this happening uh within the professional associations and it's just awful and terrifying and um it makes me nervous so what you know i can't blame my pediatrician uh, you know, my kid's pediatrician for not not knowing that the guidance that the the APA has come out with about such and such is influenced yeah. too heavily by some activist group that has no business uh, making the recommendations that they make. They, it's not there, you know, and it's not even the case and true in the case of gender. It's true across the board. This is happening across the board. The experts are more vulnerable um, then I think a lot of us grow up realizing um, and we have to be concerned about consensus opinion and of taking consensus opinion as law, um, which is what a lot of these people are trained to do as, you know, the responsible thing. Um, you know, yeah. it's complicated. You know, there are, there are negatives to that, too. You know, if every if every practitioner starts to treat their patients in their own, you know, idiosyncratic way, there's problems there too. Um, having said that, I think we're we have so int- an interesting few years ahead of us. Um, well, I hope so. It's good for us. Yeah, because we can get what in our podcast. Yeah, that's that's the most important. The worse thing. things are in the world, the better it is for podcasts everywhere. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, silver lining. That's true. Silver lining, a good one for us. Um, yeah. What else? Have we been going on for a long time? Yeah, we've been going on. So we're going to do some some bonus content. Uh, and I want to talk about a, a thing I read in the also in the New York Times the other day. Somebody had Megan. Uh, do you read anything it. else? 
Do you read the yeah. Federalist I'm even? A, no. I, We're I, too New York Times heavy. We always read or often read uh, the Substack comments and answer people's questions and comment on them in the bonus. Mm-hmm. So in ad- in addition to, I want to get your reaction to uh, a question that somebody wrote into uh, Philip Galanis, who's a, the the social etiquette advice columnist in the New York Times. Somebody wrote in with a question about her biological clock, and I thought his answer and the answers of the commenters were, were very interesting, and I actually thought of you uh, the entire time I was reading them, so I want to get your reaction, but we're also going to talk about people's... Uh, comments on the substack people's comments and um whether or not they were annoying there were some annoying comments last time oh um, no no not that annoying I, I like our commenters they're 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 nice they're gr- um, I, our commenters are great they're um, great yeah but uh um and yeah. again if you want to be a commenter you go to a special place.substack.com and you hit the subscribe button and you have to fork up a little bit of money and not a lot we have Six to do the Sam Harris thing. You have to be like dollars for, a for a, the price of a cup of coffee. How does Sam do it? That's like for, for the price of a coffee. cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah, that's, like, yeah, yeah. I don't even. I won't even drink that coffee. I wouldn't drink it. No. But um, no. you, you, it's not you the kind of coffee that anyway. has like a shot of butter and a lard in it or something. Like you could buy like one of those coffees. You know what? Buy you six months on our substance. I was just I mean I was just joking about all this but I honestly drink I drink like Folgers morning bread morning blend. <laughs> Did you say morning breath? Like that's I drink morning I drink Starbucks <laughs> morning, morning breath. Morning, morning breath. I mean I have <laughs> morning breath but I do not I do not drink it. Um but yeah I, I drink um, the most like basic coffee and you know what I like it. It's good. Yeah. And I I, yeah. I resent people who you know, I drink it with whole milk. Yeah. Or half and half. I, I drink my coffee black, but... so I can't have the, I can't, I need a slight, slightly higher grade of coffee because I don't put anything in it, but yeah. Oh, I just put uh, all this kind of sugar and, and milk. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so, okay. So we're going to do that in the bonus content. And also if, so you have to fork out $6 a month if you want to hear, but the bonus content is really good and it goes on for a really long time. Too generally. long. Often. Yeah. Like we wrap it yeah. up here and it's like, Sarah, it's like midnight Sarah's time. And I'm on my, I'm, I'm on my, you know, second, third cup of wine by the end of it. Yes. So she's yeah. like plastered by the end of it. So if you want to hear that, you have to pay <laughs> we should $6. Do. <laughs> we should do one episode <laughs> plastered. And that should be like I one know. bonus episode that we do where yeah, we're just, we're drunk the whole time. I like really a lot. And then okay. if they want to, we'll like, if it. they want to go to, maybe we should start like an upper, upper, upper tier where we do like hallucinogens or something. You oh, can only hear awesome. it. Yeah. Uh, like a founding, founding, founding member. But by it for for reals though, guys, if you are a founding member, you can come to our uh quarterly four times. Quarterly ish, yeah. Quarterly ish hangouts. Yeah. And you can tell us off to to our to our faces. That happened last time. Because yeah. of Penelope. Yeah, you can get get mad um, about Penelope Trunk. Uh, although we are going to have her back, just we are for, be forewarned. Yeah, and then we're going to be yelled at again. Okay, great. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, All right. I think that's enough. See you in hell. See you in hell. Just remember, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>